0: take these seriously first john chapter 3 verses 19 through 24 john writes by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him for whenever our hearts condemns us god is greater than our heart and he knows everything beloved if our heart does not condemn us we have confidence before god whatever we ask we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Would you bow your heads and pray with me, please? Lord, I'm so thankful today. That when we open your word, we do not find in it a call for us to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and get our act together and figure something out and make something of our lives and determine to work harder and produce more and to come up with great things on our own. But rather, what we find in your word is the freedom of your grace. And that grace gives us confidence. Lord, would you help us today? particularly brothers and sisters, with an earshot of my voice who are struggling with confidence in you. There are various reasons, all unique circumstances that we find. We may be in a place where something is so heavy in our lives that we can't possibly imagine living a confident life in Christ. We may also be in a place where we just don't care. We just may not think that having confidence in Christ matters or has any weight in our lives. Lord, reveal to us the need for Christ in our hearts. Hearts that so, wantingly, so, so want to condemn us, to destroy us, to bring us down, to remind us of our failures, our inadequacies, our mistakes, our rebellion, and just straight up our sin. We can be confident that we are of the truth because of Christ. So I pray, Lord, that you would give us what we do not have, that you would make us what we are not yet, and that you would fix our eyes on Jesus by your spirit now. I pray in his name. Amen. did so everybody watched the debate this past week? Yeah? <laughs> One hand. <laughs> I think there was a little bit of a competition to see, or at least you know, with conversations that I've had, how far, how far into the debate did you make it? Did you last the whole evening? Did you turn it off after a couple minutes? What embarrassed you the most about the debate? What gave you greater hopelessness? Which side really won? I don't think anybody did. <laughs> it was a little bit of a mess. But one thing was certain and clear. Both sides were absolutely confident that they were absolutely, in every way, correct. Correct. And you can fault them for that because nobody's that correct. But certainly that's where they thought they were. And we who watch this debate are thinking, this is what we came up with. This is the best we could do. And I think that the, the, the good news to this, I think, is that as we look at that debate, what we actually will find is a picture of something that's going on in our very hearts that John talks about today. That our hearts are working to condemn us, and that we have a great need for confidence. So here's your outline. Again, the title is Confidence in the Abiding God. There should be an in there. Blame this English teacher right here for not spelling and not putting that sentence correctly. Four points. We're going to look at verse 19, then 20, then the second part of 20, and then the whole rest of the passage there in verse 21 through 24. This is the week for typos, my friends. Congratulations. I bet you're glad you're here. The need for confidence. We're going to discuss a condemning heart. Our solution in the friendship with the great all knowing God. And then lastly, our spirit filled confidence in the Christian life. So, this is where we're going. Get it set in your minds. This is how we're looking at the passage. John has just taken us through a series of tests in these first three chapters. These tests amounted to the test of truth. Do we believe rightly about the gospel? Or are we being led astray by false teaching? This was something that was very real in the church in Ephesus that John's writing to. There was a test of obedience. Does abiding in Christ result in following what he wants me to do regularly? Am I walking with Christ, doing the things he's calling me to? And then lastly, the test of love. Has my heart towards other people both believers and non-believers, been transformed because of the abiding work of Christ in my life. This is what John put forth to believers to say, I know that you're hearing all sorts of different teaching that conflicts with what I told you in the first place. But what you need to do with that is examine, are you walking in obedience? Are you dealing with your sin? Are you striving to be more like Christ? Is there something in you that has been transformed and made new? Is is your life new? Are you abiding in Christ? Are you continually making your home in him? Do we see the love of Christ displayed at the cross and move in a direction to honor that with our lives? Now, verse 19, he presents to us a need. Look at it again with me. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. And the reason this is a need is because John brings it up. Obviously, there's an implication here. We need to be confident in Christ. We're not going to get very far unless we can trust him. Think about the word confidence just in our English. We're going to look at it in the Greek in a second here. But just in the English, we've got a prefix of con, which means with. And then fide is in there, a Latin word that means faith. So what we're talking about here when we talk about confidence, we're basically talking about faith in Christ. But perhaps there's more robustness to this word confidence. Maybe you think, maybe, maybe there's a, a particular athlete in your mind or a superhero or a movie star or one of those people that's just up front in the public eye, a politician even maybe, that just exemplifies what confidence is. And what John has to call us to today is our great, the great need of our hearts in this world that really what the, Christ, what the Christians of the time we're facing and what we're facing today is not that much different. And he's saying that confidence is required, and we need to know, A, that we are of the truth, and B, we need to reassure our hearts before God. We cannot let our Christian life become relegated to constant examination and wonder our way into heaven. The tests that John's given us are designed to give us confidence before the Lord. It's possible we've seen these questions of truth, obedience, and love, as things that maybe are keeping us away from the Lord. Maybe when you have applied these tests to your own heart, you've wondered, nope, not doing very good on the obedience thing. Uh, my theology, I think it's good, but I guess I don't really work at it. I don't really try to improve on it. And, and love, oh man, I, I don't know. Some of these things can be very depressing when we examine our hearts. And so as John, who was a pastor at heart, brings his people through these tests, he then says, here is an option for confidence. And it's not going to rest in anything of what we've done. Here is how we will be confident, is what John is going to get at. But there's a problem that comes. But here, we have reached a checkpoint, as it were, in the book. Last week, I mentioned that we were about halfway through. Now we're ending chapter three. There are two chapters left, and there are only five messages, Lord willing, um, for this book. And at this checkpoint, it's as if John, who is leading us up this tremendous mountain of self-examination, finds us with our feet aching, the backpack on our back seeming somehow heavier than it was before. We may be out of water, out of food. It's getting cold up here. John stops us, turns around and says, we're halfway there, you good? I don't know about you, but thumbs up isn't really what I'm sending his way. Examine myself through this, and I've seen a great lack—a lack for desire for more truth in Christ to 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 just abide in that truth more and more. I want that, but I don't seem to have it so much. Look at obedience, and I so quickly am reminded of my disobedience before I consider my obedience. And then again with love, I see my own love for myself very clearly, and my love for others not so clear. As John's leading us and he gives us this checkpoint to stand in, we realize we need something to hold on to as we continue. And confidence in Christ is something that God wants for all of his children. It's not that he wants us to be arrogant. He is not calling us to something that you might have viewed on TV the past week. He's calling us to a confidence that is twins with humility. Because the confidence is not meant to rest in ourselves, but in Christ alone. It is meant to be a launch pad for worship as we set our hope entirely on Christ and live according to his word. If this morning you, like me in many ways, did not come into church skipping your way in, finding your seat, holding your Bible closely, ready to worship the Lord, you're in good company. I didn't see any of you doing that. So y'all need to be sanctified. Just kidding. It's hard, right? We set this time aside. We acknowledge what it is. We acknowledge our goals and our desires for this time. And yet, some of you are still burdened by the things you couldn't lay down when we prayed earlier. Aren't you? I know because I am. Because I'm at least, you can know this. I am at the very least hoping that whatever I'm saying up here makes some monocle of sense, and that distresses me (laughs) week by week. This was one of those messages, one of those passages, just as with the rest of the Word of God, as you prepare through the week, you realize that the Lord not only intends to teach others through you, but to first teach your own heart these things. And as I was writing, even into the late hours of last night, I was finding that the Lord never stopped that work of expressing to me the confidence that he wants me to have. It's a great thing to get to preach the word. I'm very thankful for it, even if only for the extended exposure to God's word. But anyway, confidence in Christ is a launch pad into worship. You probably didn't feel like you were ready to launch into worship this morning you probably kind of just sank into your seat a little bit. Didn't even get up for that song that we started to sing. (laughs) Just weighed down by life. Confidence in Christ is meant to be a gift to a believer as it encourages us to endure through this life and whatever this life has to throw at us. It also has evangelistic value in that it testifies to the genuineness of the message we proclaim. When we proclaim Christ with confidence, At the very least, the hearer can affirm that we believe very convincingly what we proclaim. And if we can't, if we're struggling to preach Christ to our friends, our neighbors, our relatives, and when I say preach, I just simply mean sharing the good news of what Jesus has done. If we struggle to do that on a regular basis, and my friends, I'm not saying I'm not good at this, I'm not saying I'm good at this, (laughs) but we are here to do that very thing. We are here to grow more into the image of Christ and to make him known. Those are your two objectives while you're here. They're both acts of worship. And if you're not engaged in those things, like I so often find myself, it's because we are lacking confidence in Christ. John wants to see us know that we are of the truth and to reassure our hearts before him. The Lord wants us to be confident. So let's look at our problem. We have a condemning heart. Verse 20, John says, for whenever our hearts condemn us, there's a comma there and there's really, really great news. I hope you're looking ahead to that great news and saying, let's just get to the great news at the second part of verse 20. But we have to camp out here for at least a second. For whenever our heart condemns us, that is the problem. John knows it and we know it all too well. Our hearts condemn. Condemn us. There's something cool here as a super side note, just hopefully a sentence on this. Whenever our heart condemns us, notice here grammatically, our is a first person plural possessive. Our, he's sharing. John the Apostle, the great one, is saying our heart condemns us. There is a unity in this. You are not alone if your heart is condemning you this morning. The fact of the matter is. We could just stop and say, let's all come up to the microphone and talk about how our hearts condemned us this past week. And we'd be here for an eternity. Because we've got stories. We've got new stories. We've got old stories that won't seem to leave us alone. Our heart is condemning us day after day. John gives a strong solution at the second part of this verse. We can't skip over the problem. When John talks about the human heart, he's referring to what is the center of one's emotional and spiritual life. Your heart, as far as John is concerned, is your personality, your everything that you are. This is not mushy gushy, I feel sad, and this is not what John's talking about. He's not being, you know, uh, he's not like sitting you on the couch and listening to all your problems. He's saying that, that your heart is actually condemning all of your confidence, taking it all away from you, so that you are rendered useless for the kingdom of God. Isn't that great? It's terrible. Our hearts are condemning us. Not to mention the fact that the world is condemning us, right? How does the world view the church today? The world totally misunderstands the church, and unfortunately, we often give them reason to misunderstand us. But at the center of all this, our hearts are condemning us. And this word condemning is a compound word in the Greek as well, and it literally means to note against So let's just imagine for a second that I had a notebook up here, which I usually do. And I was able for the next 20 minutes to read all of your minds and write down all the reasons that your hearts are condemning you right now. It's all laid to bear for you. You know how your heart is condemning you. The truth is is that the Lord knows it as well. And the things that our hearts condemn us with are condemnable things. They truly are. What is it to condemn us? What is it that we take note against on ourselves? It is our sin. If our goal is to know that we are of the truth, our hearts are right there, ready with a counter-argument to offer every single time. You may sit here today and think, okay, I'm I'm going to church. Like, there's something there, right? I, I know I wanted to be at church. I wanted to hear the word. I wanted to be among God's people. Doesn't that give me confidence? And then immediately your heart will be right there and you say, yeah, but you just, you know you know that being at church doesn't make you a Christian anymore than being at McDonald's makes you a hamburger. <laughs> Which is true, and yet our hearts, if we have been made new, are saying, no, I know there are distractions. There are other things that I could get done today if I skipped church. This is just a for instance. So you can apply it to all sorts of other things. I didn't spend time in prayer. I didn't spend time in the Word. I didn't help out my neighbor when they needed Whatever those things are, our hearts are ready to condemn us at the drop of a hat. Because of our fallen nature, being at odds with the new nature that the Spirit has created in us, our hearts make a list of all the reasons we should doubt whether we are even of the truth and whether we are really born again, whether we are truly God's children. And my friends, you may not be thinking this morning, listen, confidence in other things, yeah, but confidence in my salvation, I don't really care about that. I'm not really worried about it. I know I'm secure. I know the gospel. I know that Jesus died in my place. I know that I don't have anything to bring to the table. I know that he paid it all. I just sang about all these things. I believe all those things. I'm not worried about losing my salvation or proving that I was never his to begin with. But John seems to think that you ought to be concerned. And so I agree with him. (laughs) Not because I think any of us are worse off than anyone else simply because John is expressing in writing here. Rather, let's just point to the the truth here. The Holy Spirit through John the Apostle is addressing the human condition in this passage, lack of confidence before the Lord, whether for good reasons or bad. Your heart may may even right now be doing this kind of work. It may be calling up all sorts of things that you know about yourself that would question the work of God in your life. Again, they may not be directly aimed towards the initial work of salvation, you may know all sorts of things about the Bible and all sorts of things about what Jesus has done for you, but perhaps you doubt God's continual and sustaining work in your life. Maybe you imagine that God is sort of the one who knocked down the dominoes of your life and sent you on a trajectory, but unfortunately there was a mishap and the domino fell to the side and didn't knock down the other, and you're standing there waiting, wondering if you should take up, take up the role of moving your life forward or whether you should still wait and trust the Lord. Let me ask yourself questions like, am I really making progress? Seems like sometimes the same sins and failures that ruled my life before are ruling my life right now. Does a Christian really treat their spouse this way? Does a real Christian get tired of reading the Bible? If I'm really abiding in Christ, could I care so little for those who don't know Jesus? Maybe I don't need to have confidence. Maybe I'm better off living in constant worry over whether I'm saved or growing so that I don't trip up and become prideful. There's thousands of things that our hearts could be telling us right now. What we need to listen to is the word of God. Some of these things are just regular life things too. Some of you face some terrible circumstances right now, some overwhelming odds, situations that break my heart. And the struggle comes because you know that your, your responsibility in this case is to walk by faith and trust Christ through it, but you just don't see the other side yet, and your confidence is dashed. Some of you feel defeated because of decisions that you've made in the past, words that you can't take back, things you wish you would have done differently. You know, I've already kind of bemoaned my, my own experience in this, but I'm going to do it again. Every week I prepare a sermon and I know I need the truth of that word to sink into my heart first before I come up here. I need it to change me. And there are some weeks like this that it takes a little bit more time than others because the need is so great. I struggle with confidence. Very much so. Some of you know that because I've expressed the struggle to you. The truth is what I'm trying to get at here is not to say that because I'm standing I don't know, like a foot higher than you right now doesn't mean that I'm on a different plane of experience. And the same is true for every believer. Confidence in Christ is a constant thing that the devil would love to take away from us. And he will use the circumstances in the world that the Lord is using to shape us more into the image of Christ to try to crush us under the weight of it. It is true for all believers at various times. Confidence feels elusive because our hearts are very good at condemning us. So there's a debate going on in our life. God is the moderator, and it's you versus your heart. And unlike the confusing thing that happened this past week on TV, when it's you versus your heart, it's a landslide victory for the heart almost every time. Look at Jeremiah 17.9. Very familiar passage probably to many of us. The heart is deceitful above all things. And desperately sick. Who can understand it? It's amazing because our hearts, as they walk onto this stage of debate against us, are the ones that we recognize as the ones that are constantly calling us to indulge in sin, constantly telling us, "Hey, you don't need Christ. You, you come on. We don't want to read the Bible. It's, what's on Netflix? There's thousands of other things we haven't seen there. You've read the Bible before. Don't spend time in prayer. You're just going to fall asleep, and it won't mean anything." Our hearts remind us of our failures over and over and over again and turn it into temptation. And then, on the stage of debate, they become the most, you know, clean-cut, smooth, and perfect liars. Deceitful above all else. And it's ironic that in our culture, in our society, many of us grew up hearing things like, follow your heart, listen to your heart, trust your gut, and all sorts of other Disney songs. And we've made them our life mottos because we wanted to end up like the characters in those stories. Because they did. They trusted their heart. They believed in themselves. And they got somewhere. Disney's not the only purveyor of this lie. There are others as well. And the truth is is that you'll find people in this world who don't know Christ who seem to be doing really well without him. But we understand that there is an eternal weight to everything that happens here. And no matter how good the surface of everything here looks, We're in trouble if we are apart from Christ. And our heart would love to remind us and to call into question whether we are indeed children of God, whether we abide in him and to crush our confidence. Now let's go to the good news of verse 20b. Look at it again with me. Whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. There is a solution to this problem. And John gives it to us clearly here. He has no intention of keeping it from us in this passage. So often we come to God's word thinking, all right, it's like a Rubik's cube. You just got to keep moving the pieces and figure out what God's trying to tell you in your life. Don't come to God's word like that, my friends. He has spoken clearly to you. If nothing else, let this be a clear message to you. When our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts, and he knows all things. Somebody else needs to step into the debate on our our behalf. The two things that John gives as a solution to the problem of our condemning heart are things totally outside ourselves, and when we take a hard look, there are things that are beyond even our imagination. Jesus himself lived out his years with full confidence in his heavenly father. Can you recall times in the gospels when you see Jesus' confidence? Here's a couple. How about when he's on the boat with his friends and the, the worst storm these fishermen have ever seen comes upon them. And what is Jesus doing? Audience participation for the answer, please. Sleeping. He is sleeping. And what do they say? The only thing they can come up with, don't you care that we're going to drown? We're going to die, Jesus. Don't you care? Because our fallen hearts, I'm sorry. It's okay. I'm not mad. (laughs) Our fallen condemning hearts look at our situation. Look at our situation (laughs) and tell us if Jesus is right there and the storm's going on, he probably doesn't love you. You're probably not even his. What does Jesus do? Rubs his eyes, stands up, and he says, oh, where's your faith? Where is your faith? And it's not a question, it's a very clear question. Your faith is somewhere. Your confidence is in something. And where were those fishermen putting their confidence in that time? We're fishermen. We know boats. We know which way's the bow and which way's the stern. We know how the ropes work. We know how to work the sail. We can take this storm. And pretty soon they realize they can't. And they call upon the only one who, with a word, I love, again, the Jesus Storybook Bible comes to mind. It says in the Jesus Storybook Bible that Jesus stood up and he simply said, shh. And the storm stopped. The water was still, perfectly calm. Peace happened. And they all looked at him with their jaws on the bottom of the sea. Who is this guy? He even commands the winds and the waves. And what do they do? Audience participation again. They obey him. There's a great sermon by a guy named Paul Washer, and I can't tell you which one it is, but there's a line in there where he goes through all of creation. He says, in the beginning, God created the stars and the sun and the moon, and I'm going all out of order, I know. Um, the seas, the creatures, the the birds of the air, um, everything he created. He said, let there be this, let there be this. And each one of those things essentially said, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, we will, we will. We're doing this thing. Let there be light. The sun didn't say, really? I don't really want to. I don't think I can. Everything that God created, he said, let there be and there was. He says, let there be man and woman. Let them be made in the image of God. And then he says, don't eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And there's a break in the beautiful symphony of confidence in the Lord when Adam and Eve say, no. And they stop. They break the confidence. They break their trust with the Lord. And they find themselves separated from him. Soon their, their nakedness becomes their shame. They're trying to cover and hide themselves from the Lord. They know what they've done. Confidence is shattered. God is no longer the friend that they look to um, at the cool of the day to come and walk with them in the garden. He becomes their enemy because they have chosen to be the enemy of God. Confidence ruined. And yet, what does Jesus do? What does the Lord do in this case? Which is the same person, of course. But God speaks to them, He gives them a way out. He kicks them out of the garden, but He makes a promise. And that promise is fulfilled in Christ, who, just as he was confident in the storm, he was confident when he was preaching to the Pharisees, he was confident to the point that we emphasized last week that he laid down his life for you. He didn't do it on accident, he did it on purpose. It was his plan, it was his intention, it was his ultimate goal to lay down his life for you because he loves you. If somebody were to do that for you today, would you ever doubt their intentions? As they come back and ask you for a favor, ask for help with something, if they were to pay such a, such a price to do something so wonderful on your behalf, would you, would you withhold anything from that person? And yet, we still do. Why? Because our hearts condemn us. Now, in Christ's salvation, we can have access to the same confidence that Jesus had in his heavenly Father. As we've looked at tests that John has written about in his letter, have you been able to see God's intention and in self-examination? It isn't a move to destroy us. If God wanted to destroy us, it would take nothing. It would take his breath. You're done. He does not come and say, how is your love? How is your obedience? How is your abiding in truth? So that he can say, you failed. I'm done with you. I unadopt you. It's over. Go back to where you were before. I regret ever sending my son to bleed and die on a cross for you. Is that the God we worship? Please say no, loudly. Thank you. You guys are doing great today. John gives these tests in order to bolster us up for confidence. This is the grand crescendo of these tests thus far, to stop and say, by this we shall know that we are of the truth. And reassure our hearts before Him. Our hearts are going to condemn us, but God is greater than our hearts and He knows everything. God has not revealed your sin and shortcomings to you so that He can plant your face firmly in the mud and leave you there. Our hearts may like to see that happen, but God is greater than our hearts. Our hearts may say, hey, nobody knows me better than me. And Christ come in, comes in and says, give me a try let me tell you some things you don't know about yourself. Remember with the Samaritan woman at the well? He came in and said, every, in her own words, this man told me everything I ever did. She was astonished by that. God knows you better than you know yourself. There's a trite Christian phrase that we use often, but it is true and is full of wonder. I always think of the Chris Tomlin line, and of course I'm not going to be able to say the song title in my head, but he says in one of these songs, You see the depth of my heart, and you love me the same. I hope that gave you the same chills that I just felt. He sees the depth of your wicked, condemning, evil heart apart from him. You're new in Christ, right? He's given you a new heart, but you're still dragging around, as Paul says in Romans 7, that old nature, that old man, oh, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to Jesus Christ. And the amazing thing is, is that as you struggle and as you walk day by day with your heart, constantly nagging you in that debate of the mind, trying to say you're not really a child of God. And then you look around to the world and you see that there are other people trying to condemn you as well in the world. The enemy of God is trying to stifle your growth and stifle your work for him, for, for Christ Christ we can look to him and say, I can have confidence because the God who saved me is greater than my heart. And the God who saved me is the only one who knows all things. And so he hasn't called you to scale the mountain. Christ has overcome the world. Whatever he's put in your life today that brings doubt and crushes your confidence is only able to do so because whether you know it or not, you've put your confidence somewhere else. You've put your faith, most likely, in yourself. Remember the book of Judges? We preached through that a little while ago. Most of you weren't here for most of that service, those services rather, because it was online. But the constant problem in the book of Judges was Israel's continual turning to themselves, making for themselves their own idols, making their own plans, saying we don't need God anymore. He saved us and given us this land, and that's really great, but we're going to be okay without him. We see over and over in the book of Judges the need for them to return to the Lord, to rend their hearts to him, to humble themselves. And we see again and again God's wonderful mercy over and over, not only in the book of Judges, but in all of Scripture. He knows everything your heart knows and more. He knows your sin even better than you know it yourself. Confidence comes when his perspective of us in Christ becomes our perspective as well. When we hear the condemning voice of the world, our heart, or the enemy, and we say, actually, the things that you're telling me about my weaknesses and my shortcomings, they may be true, but there is a greater truth, and that is that Christ did not, was not sent for those who were well, but for those who were sick. In due time, Christ died for the worthy, the Well to do, the righteous? No. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Brothers and sisters, that's you. Ungodly apart from God. And he died for you. And the point of that is not, again, to just leave you in the mud and smash your face in it so you feel like dirt, but to remind you if he would go to such lengths for you at the cross, knowing that you were an enemy of his, what will he do for you today? you become his child through faith in Christ. The solution to the problem is that God is greater than our hearts, that God knows all things, and that even the worst part of us, yet he still abides with his children. He gives us confidence to press on in faith and obedience all the way to the end. Speaking of the end, here's point four. Confidence in Christian life. So that's the solution. Here's the resolution, what you need to do in light of it. To be confident in all your Christian life, in every avenue of it. Look at um, verses 22 through 24. We'll read those one last time. Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. This is our resolution, knowing that God is greater than our hearts, knowing that he has gone to the extent that he has by sending Jesus to the cross for us and raising him from the dead so that we would have new life. We can move forward and overcome the arguments of our hearts. We do so with better arguments. God is greater than my heart. There's no one who is greater. Look at 1 John 2.27 as a little bit of a reminder from previous passages that we looked at. John says, the anointing that you received... And again, this is to all believers everywhere. The anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it taught you, abide in him. What is your solution to gaining this confidence? Same thing we've been saying week after week after week. This one word, abide in Christ. Make your home in him. We all know how to make homes, right? Whether we live in an apartment, in a a, a house, whatever it might be, we know where we live and what we do to make that our home. You need to have that kind of attitude towards Christ. To not just make Christ your vacation spot or your BMV uh, appointment that you have, like going to the grocery store, checking things off, but rather to make Christ your home. Let him be your teacher. Let him overcome the desire of your heart to be the authoritative voice in your life. When this happens, everything else falls into place in the Christian life. So why should I have confidence that whatever I might ask, I will receive from him? Because I keep his commandments, and I do what pleases him. But now we're back to point two, and my heart is condemning me again, because you heard those words, and you're like, ah, yeah, but here's the thing, I don't please him. I know I don't please him. I know I don't keep his commandments the way I should. If I were to measure up with another person, I'm sure they would be light years beyond me in their obedience. I am a failure but we have it backwards if we're thinking that way. It's not simply a matter of cause and effect. If I do what pleases him, he'll give me what I ask for. Is that how that works? No. I don't know if this quote is up there for uh, David Jackman, but this was a commentator. He, read, he says, uh, the more we enjoy and develop this relationship, this abiding in Christ as obedient children, the more we shall find ourselves asking and receiving those things that are pleasing to God. It's a relationship. It's not a cause and effect. It's not a deal. Hey, look, you obey me and I'll give you these things. That's not exactly how it works. The fact is is that Christ has come to live in our hearts and we are called to live in him and to make him our home. And as we do that, as we make our home and our life more about Christ, what we will naturally find is that we ask for things that advance the same cause. And whatever you might face today is another tool in the hands of the Holy Spirit to make you more into the image of Christ, chipping away, as it were, at the stone of our hearts. Our hearts can't condemn us when we're fixed on this resolution. But we have confidence that the Lord will give us those things we need in order to obey him. And that's because of what John gives us as an ultimate summary of what obedience looks like in verse 23. Believe in Christ and love other people. I can't do that on my own. Consider this resolution in action through prayer. As we consider again, we can ask of anything, knowing that he'll offer it to us, that he'll give it to us, we might doubt, I, I can't do this, and I've, I've asked before. Maybe we need to ask with greater confidence. Maybe we need to ask for greater confidence and just simply say that simple prayer of, Lord, help me believe in Christ today and help me love others the way he would do so. Is that something that the Lord would say no to? Would he say, yeah, I really like your, your word usage there, and you even use my word, but I don't know, not you. Brothers and sisters, we are accepted in the beloved When we, oh, get this, and you can challenge me on this later if you really want to. When we ask of something from the Lord as his children, it is as if Jesus himself were asking for it. Not because we are Jesus, but because we are accepted in the beloved. Jesus is the beloved. And therefore, when we ask, we receive because we're asking, as Jesus put it in the Gospel of John, in his name. We're in Christ So is that something that you want to ask the Lord for today? Will you commit to doing that? Not just plan on it, but make it your purpose as you are here to trust the Lord and move forward in confidence that he is working. How does he make all this possible? It's the last part of the verse. We know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Christ in us, the hope of glory, Paul said. I can make the resolution to trust in him, but what will he do to produce confidence and obedience and and love in me? Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. We've got to put that backwards. If God is abiding in me and I'm abiding in God, I'll be able to keep his commandments. Perfectly? No. Read the rest of 1 John. We talk about sin. We deal with sin. We deal with it in the manner that we say, Jesus, I messed up. Take me back. And what does he say every time? Yes or no? Audience participation? Yes. Every time with the same confidence that he approved you for last time. It's amazing. In John 15, Jesus told his disciples that he is the vine and they are the branches, and we too must abide in him in order to bear much fruit, in order to walk in obedience and in love. We need to abide in the vine. This is the second time that John has said, by this we know. And he repeats this point from verse 19. In verse 19, he spoke of how we know that we are of the truth. In verse 24, he speaks of how we know that God abides in us. Our confidence is firmly established in who God is and where God is. God is the one who is greater than our hearts. He is the one who knows all things. And this last verse 24, he is the one who abides in us and us in him by his spirit. So here's your resolution to pray, to obey, and to love boldly, with confidence, with a renewed confidence today, I pray. The Lord gives his Holy Spirit to us to empower these things, and we miss out when we don't yield to his work in that way. Here's your reflection points for this week. It's just a summation of the outline once more. The instruction is, be confident as a child of God. What's my problem? My heart condemns me again and again and again. I got to drown out that voice and even those seemingly valid arguments with better arguments. What is the solution to the problem? I just said it. Christ's work frees me from all condemnation. There is nothing that my heart can condemn me with because all of that condemnation has been put on Christ. And what is the resolution? Praying, obeying, and loving boldly by the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We pray for you. Father, in your kindness, you have given us all we need in Christ. In your kindness, you have revealed to us that your love, your grace, your mercy, your patience is greater than all our sin. That there is nothing that our heart can use to condemn us when Christ has taken the condemnation for us. So, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning. Oh, God, give us confidence to live out what you call us to day by day. Give us power by your Holy Spirit to overcome temptation and the condemnation of our hearts so that we can worship you well, so that we can call others to know you, so that we can proclaim this good news with confidence. You are worthy of that, Lord. And you love your people. You don't want us to live under our own condemnation. You want us to live in the freedom and the confidence of what Jesus has done day by day. Give us that now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.